You're listening to Biz Souls, the business podcast with an edge, hosted by me, Rona Lewis, and Jeffrey Hansler. Tune in for perspectives and discoveries about the changing world of business. It's time to connect to the heart, soul, and humor of how business gets done. Welcome everyone to another fun edition of Biz Souls, where we get to the heart and soul of business and the people that make it happen. And you know what? We're trying something new here. We're always we experimenting. Are. We just finished the uh, interview with Michael and um, we're picking them back up again because we want to do another quickie because the conversation, we had so many things kind of popping in our head. We just thought we'd grab it. As Michael said, there's grease on the wheels. And uh, just in case you haven't listened to the last one, I'm Rona Lewis. I'm Jeffrey Hansler. And, and uh, yeah, we are with uh, Michael Wodenberg. Is that, is that how I pronounce it? Is it Wodenberg? Wodenberg. Wodenberg, okay. Wodenberg. Uh, okay, let's not do the, the accents. Jeffrey loves the accent. Yes, Val, Val, we must have the German accent. And since we're okay. just uh, winging it, which is what we're doing, you know, I always I always love uh, improv because that's where a lot of play stems from and that's where you get innovative thinking and brainstorming creativity and we were in the in the other podcast we were talking about systems and processes and stuff so the boys are doing me the honor of just going for it well what are you going for well what's the question, what's the well, question on the table so we're going to talk about uh the issues of innovative thinking and creativity and and you know what stops us from allowing that into business. So we're talking about the party killers, the the people that just say no, the no, The party no. poopers, yeah. The ones that, you know, like like we were saying before, we love innovation and change, you go first, right? Isn't right, that what you say? exactly. I think that's what kit, kicked it off. So Michael, what have you got? Uh, yeah. What do you got? What do you got? What do I got? I'm just going to give it up to you. I think so much of this is it's, as we talked in the last podcast, it's about the, the the fears, right? It's the fears of, you know, your reputation. It's the fears of uncertainty. It's the fears of the negative impacts. And yet these, the people that we're dealing with in a large way, it's a term, it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of understand or, or, or accept if you're in this position, but it's the successfully unsuccessful. It's the people that can continue to do the same thing. You see them in the same position. There's they they continue to move up the hierarchy. They continue to go. A lot of times, your most innovative people get frustrated, get beat down, and uh, leave the organization. But the people who are in that position are successful. Yeah, that's uh, and I I always think when I uh, when I was in advertising sales, we always we always notice that uh, I'm going to say a bad word. We used to say shit floats because the people who were getting promoted to the managerial positions weren't that phenomenal at 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 sales whatever they just knew how to play the game and those of us who were trying to do things a little bit differently and 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 push a little bit it was like we were getting punished isn't that a little bit of polymath because these people were good they were okay at sales they were okay at politics they were okay so they got promoted so is that a, a form of polymath I well, don't now think you're so. Gonna trigger my ass. Yeah, right here. no, I don't. No, I, <laughs> no, I don't she, think. She could use a bad word. I'll, I'll pull out the. Yeah, so, out no, the I don't think it is. I. Hang on. All right, talking. so fine. All right, He's sorry. Talking. Go ahead. No, I think this is where I'll tie together the polymath of the systems thinking. The systems thinking is, I think, the most important part. And so, one of my backgrounds is in uh, discipline. You mentioned it in the 
intro and the other one, operations research. What a lot of people don't know is how many disciplines are actually built off that. Data science is built off of it. Actually, Six Sigma Lean and Statistical Six Sigma are actually built off it. Industrial engineering actually was birthed from operations research in the 70s as a separate discipline. And most people who are introduced to OR, which is a lot of applied math and different things like that, uh, we call it the science of better. They're introduced to OR in a systems or a, a industrial engineering undergrad. Now, one of the cores to operations research, it goes back to something that Simon Snook talks about. Always start with why. Why are you doing this? What is the goal and the outcome for what you're trying to go do? Um, so in operations research, we call this measures of outcome, which are your qualified. Then you go into measures of effectiveness, which is a mix of qualified and quantified, and then measures of performance, which are quantified. So when you ask, is that the polymathic mindset? Well, no, just dabbling everywhere that kind of goes back to a little bit of knowledge can be very dangerous without the context. And so applying that context is going to be absolutely essential. So these people that are moving up there, one of the issues is the behaviors that are incentivized are not the behaviors that are actually applying the true polymathic address the actual goals, but the ones that make people kind of feel good psychologically as they go up. So they might not be challenging the status quo. They may not be rethinking the problem set. They may, what is it? You just keep turning the cog in the wheel. There's an old program management axiom. There's never enough time to do it right the first time, but there's always enough time to do it over and over and over again. And if that's a successful mantra for a business, that's a really hard one to break into. Yeah, no kidding. So and, in a way, it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. You know, when you said, when you said, they just make them feel psychologically good. The person goes, "Oh, aren't his clothes beautiful? They're great. They made him feel good." So the only head he wanted to cut off was the one that says, "He's naked." Yeah, you know. Well, and yeah, I, I, a lot of people do that. We do that in our personal lives. Say, you know, especially if we have an agenda. Oh, you're wonderful. I love you. You're so special, and I want to get what I want. So I'm just saying that to you to make you feel good. You know, and I think that's that's with you know we we a lot of people do that naturally. You know, I do. Well, <laughs> I know I, I do. Say one of the things. One of the things myself personally that um, there's a line where it feels like manipulation to me, where I know I can say these right things and get you to go do something. Sure. And I don't like that because yeah. if I can control you in that way, you're no longer at the same equal engagement level. Right. I can actually manipulate you. And I don't like that because it means I, I have a really hard time respecting that. So right. what I like to do is not get myself into a position where I kind of feed them things. So um, you talked about uh, the emperor's new clothes. Great, great analogy on that one, because instead of being the little kid, just being like, I mean, anybody can kind of throw up a flag and say, Emperor's not wearing any clothes. It's, I think the best way to do it, especially with the polymathic mindset, we talked about reframing, tilting it, the enemy's gate is down, re reconceptualizing the problem sets, um, looking outside and these different things, looking for any sort of information that you can network in, bringing together different people, different personalities, things like that, that come in there. And by doing that, if I can get the people in the room to realize they're naked without me saying anything because you rotate it, you rotate it, you look at the problem differently. That I think is where you can you can avoid the manipulation and yet also achieve the results that you look. Again, this is why I'm just fascinated wanted to do this thing is, so when we go in, when I'm brought in to do um, sales training for a group, um, there are a couple of key areas where we often have problems. One of the problems I have is with the manager, manager who is promoted because they were the best salesperson. So now they, they can't explain how they do things and they have this terrible, it's almost like a terrible insecurity where they were good at sales, now they're there. So then I come in and we lay down a system 
for these people to do self-improvement and get better at their selling skills. So all of a sudden then, and generally the managers don't stay in it, they just notice all of a sudden people in the class are starting to have successes when they go out in the field and it's like phenomenal successes or even worse, the manager go out with them, the manager go to say something, they'll cut off the manager because it's the wrong thing to say and then they get the sale, whereas the manager's thinking, that, how did that happen? And then that fear comes in, and then all of a sudden they turn on the program because it's eroding their power base. So when you talk about incentives and rewards, is that what you're talking about? Oh boy, there's two threads in there. So Rona, can, for the improv, let's, let's keep this uh, these two threads together. Number one is the, it's the, it is who we promote. And then number two is kind of the lack of curiosity. And so to, kind of to address the first, um, I've been in a, several major organizations, Honeywell, Raytheon, Lockheed, and they all have leadership development programs. And inevitably, when I've been asked to go into an organization to go fix a critical problem, and I go look at the process and I go try to do the root cause, inevitably that organization is led by one of those LDP candidates. And they do suffer from that ego problem. When you look at what these LDP programs focus on, they're focusing on this person applying unique value themselves as the leader to the organization. Very few of those are about the um, standing on the shoulders of giants, as Sir Isaac Newton would say. If I've seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. And so instead of that, it's the most overused phrase, servant leadership, they're, they're not teaching. And, and by servant leadership, it means you're consolidating. I'd say it's not that you're, you're serving everybody, but you're not thinking you can do it alone. You're pulling all these other people together so that you can do it better. And then the ego, the second part is the ego. That one there, honestly, it's a lack of curiosity. Well, and I mean, it, my and it's fear. ego. Yeah. It's a, well, harsh. Yeah. It's, so definitely, definitely an aspect of fear. But I would say my ego is I don't have to be right, but I certainly don't want to be wrong. And so that invites people, if anything can prove that I'm wrong, I like that and I'll go pull that in. I don't have to be right, but my ego wants me to be better. And a lot of people's ego says I'm already great. I don't want to be shown how I'm not. And it's a weird, subtle reframe, but if leaders could just reframe it, I'm not great, or I might be good, but I can always be better. And maybe not me better, but maybe the organization can be better. And anything that comes into the ecosystem that can allow that, that's where you start getting the uh, the the solutions that we're talking about. Well, and that and that goes with the childlike, uh, you know, child versus adult mindset where playfulness. Yes, we to... are afraid to be judged, and that's where the ego comes in. And when you can move the ego out of the way, you will get curiosity. It's you know because it's it's a sense of newness where you will ask the questions why is the sky blue why does this work like this what happens if we do this and and flip it and change it and look at it differently mm -hmm. you know and Bruce Lee is a great yeah. example i mean uh, take what is useful discard what is not and make it uniquely your own i'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing there again but if anybody should have had an ego about it, it was him. But his ego was based in the same concept, which is I can always be better. And he constantly strove to be better. If, if your ego says I'm already there, like that salesperson you talked about, Jeffrey, right. I mean, that's that's not an ego of curiosity. That's not an ego of growth. That's an ego of regression. Yeah, well, and they had they were in a position. Of, it, it's almost like the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of people, they get uh, promoted to their level of incompetence. Uh, Peter Principle. Yeah, Peter Principle. I, th I think sometimes they get terrified by the amount of work. And I'm, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've experienced this, where people, to be more of a polymath thinker, I don't have just one subject I have to get good in. I have to get good in all these other complex subjects. And the amount of work involved in that, it you can't view it as work. It has to be out of love that you want to and absolutely uh, an interest and excitement for this it's kind of like me trying to learn how to edit and do this stuff i mean the, every day i work at it i'm going oh wow i've got so much to learn about lighting i've got so much to learn about the sound i haven't even cracked the other five things along with rona's you know points out i need more media training and stuff like mm -hmm. that it it becomes daunting and frightening mm -hmm. and so again I, I love your approach to it where you try and help them discover it how do you how do you do that and keep people interested in that first thought the fastest way to fail is to think you can or should do it by yourself and sometimes you know i, and I think the biggest thing as a leader is to realize that um i think you mentioned this a little off air jeffrey was uh, if you can phrase this better than me, is, is stepping back and realizing you don't have to do it, right? You have to lead them. You don't have to be the one doing it. And there's times I've led teams where I feel like I'm hanging on by my fingernails. I feel like the dumbest person in the room. Being the dumbest person in the room allows you to force the situation to have your team explain this, the concepts better. And the number of times I've sat there and had people explain, hanging on by my fingernails, no idea. And then as I have them explain it, as they actually articulate it down to a simpler level and I start putting it into context, I go, oh, wait, that's not right. That's not going to work. What was I thinking? And they just fix it right there. And then we all learn something more. And then by the end, as we put it all together, I can be as capable of managing the larger system of those people as they go. So one of the big things is that delegation, knowing that the fastest way to fail is to think you can or should do it by yourself. And if you do that, that's probably one of the first steps in the humility to start breaking the ego. Humility is a big word for any of us who are looking to innovate and change and stay creative, you know, and possibly stay relevant. So Rona, to you, how does play help with humility for people? Well, you know, one of the things that we put a lot of stock in as, as part of uh, programs is improv because it it allows for, you know, thinking outside the box, whatever, whatever comes to you. And we feature failure. It's one of the tenets of of improv. So when you feature failure, you can't be afraid of it, you know. And that allows for that letting go of ego. I have to be right. I have to be perfect. There is no perfection when you're improving. And you want to look for, okay, how can we mess this up so we know what not to do next time? Or, oh, happy accidents. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of awesome innovation through happy accidents. I mean, look at post-it notes, you know? <laughs> so. Well, it's also reframing what failure is. Exactly. Exactly. And, People and fear. If, if I have, you know, we, we face this in uh, flight tests mm -hmm. where the goal was you had to pass the flight test. Well, so they would engineer the design, they would engineer the test, and then they would wicker it all up so that you would pass the flight test. But then the system never actually met the operational considerations that the that the customer actually wanted, even though it passed the flight test. So instead of looking at it as a pass fail, look at it as a decision point. Is design A meeting the expectations or do I need to pivot to design B? And if you change it from a pass fail to a decision point, you can really take that fear of failure off the table as well. Sure. Excellent. Yeah.
Well, how do you, how, how would you use this concept in what in uh, organizational development? People don't. I mean, they have an inherent dislike for change. And so we're applying this all the time. I'm just looking for a system to see if there's a system. And Michael would be the person that I'm interested in asking is system for getting people to um, go through the steps. So when you ask somebody to do improv, they're faced immediately with the fact that it's hard. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not impossible. And so it's difficult. Do you, do you Michael, to, to pivot a little bit, do you, Michael, um, do you have a process to teach people to be poor, more polymathic in their thinking? Uh, do you have a process for that? Is that something you do or do you just bring that with your brain and show up with your clients and go, you're not trying to teach anybody the process, you're just trying to, um, you're just implementing well, your own. I think, I think, well, that's an interesting question. First off, I would say kind of to tie the two thoughts, the two threads that you had together is how do you get play? How do you get process, right? How do you get process play? Uh, the first thing is to make sure that people are actually following the processes that they actually do have. 90% of the um, optimization I've ever done is literally walking in and say, just do what you already said you're going to go do. And then we'll look at those those deltas. You don't have to do a whole lot of change. Follow what you said you're going to go do and then look for that innovation. In that sense, uh, what we talked about in the last episode is a polymath. I was taking notes on the side, trying to as kind of free-flowing kind of how do I tighten this thing down? Because that one, there's so many threads that wove off. We talked about a little bit of innovation. We talked about this. We talked about that. Um, but fundamentally, if I was going to recommend what a polymath mindset is, number one, if you think you understand the problem, step back and see if you understand the system and then intentionally reframing it, shifting it. The enemy's gate is down. How do I refocus these things? Does it stay the same if I adapt it? The second, I think, and this goes into the playful mindset as well, is learn, unlearn, and relearn. Um, So for that new manager you're mentioning, Jeffrey, yes, you're going to have to learn these new things. Yes, you're going to have to unlearn some old things. And then to those together, you're going to have to relearn. And that's just a constant cycle. Again, I'll mention this again. The fastest way to fail is to think you can or should do it by yourself. One of the underpinnings I think of as a polymath is collaboration, not me, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, being the person as that leader, I don't have to be the giant, I have to be this person standing on the shoulders of the giants, weaving that all together into something more important. And then the last one is, and I would say wrapping all through this, is then that ability to play, um, Yay. to reframe it, to caveat, and I've even just get in there and say, hey, hold on, I, I, this is weird. Don't mind me. I'm just going to play with this idea for a second. Let me reframe it. Let me move it. Let me do this. What happens if this, you know, let me, let me thought game this a little bit, but going back Jeffrey to your, to your leader, I, I would say, hang on by your fingernails and understand that it's not about you. It's about how you can tie together everybody else. And again, you know, Simon Snuck, start with why, where are you going with it? What are those measures of outcome you're trying to get out of it? And that gives you that heading where you can make sure you're always on track. You can look up and be like, yep, I'm heading in the right direction. Right. Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, this was, yeah, this was great. And we had no, there was no script. There was no uh, systems in place. So that made me very happy. And we actually pretty much stayed on on track, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is going to be the oddball one. <laughs> We're not, giving up, we're not giving up the outlines. Damn, damn it. No, no, I, I definitely ap- appreciate that. And uh, and Michael, thank you so much for great. for playing with us that on this. Fantastic. We love this. Yeah, that was that was great. And uh, yes, I'm I'm sure we'll uh, think of some other things like oh, 
Let's get Michael. He'll talk about anything. No. <laughs> Do you remember well, I mean, that, yeah, that, I mean, that commercial? Yeah. I, I loved your episode. Um, oh, actually, let me let me segue back a little bit. Your one sure. episode where you're talking about the fear with the um, with teasing, right? Um, maybe I should add in here part of the play. One way you make failure sting less is you tease, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can get that camaraderie, like if you've, right. I come from the military, you know, ranger. Right. Oh, my God. You hear those people talk in there. It's like, oh, it's that stupid. It's like, yeah, right. But it's not said in in malice or hate. It's just like, you know, go jump off a cliff. Right. You know, just but but it's this kind of this constant. You're, you're, you can't get an ego when you actually allow people to tease you about your ego. Right. Well, and, and that's so, that's psychological safety. It's also be allowing yourself as a leader to be vulnerable. Yeah. Right. If you can't be teased, and this is the introspection I would challenge everybody, right? If you can't be teased, really stop and think about it. Because it means as a leader, you're probably not getting the results you want. You're not getting the psychological safety from your team you're hoping for. If you can't take the joke, that's the first step I would say, hey, hold up, hard stop relook at yourself, you know, whether the LDP candidate or what, who Jeffrey mentioned, just if you can't take the joke, you're in the wrong spot right now, right. figure out how to take the joke so that you can, uh, you can work with the rest of it because that teasing really takes the sting out of the, out of the perception of failure. Wow. That, yeah. And that's good. That, I'm sorry. That just brings, uh, I can tell you, uh, right when they, uh, let jobs go from Apple, John, neither John Scully nor Mike Markle, either of them, they were they were like rubber bands. They were so tight. Any any kind of conversation about it, any kind of teasing, and man, those you just got glares. Uh, and it was out of character for both of them. It was very very interesting. Well, I mean, people are going to feel their their feels based on the uh, circumstances. And to your to your point, Michael, what you know, one of the, three of the tenets of a play. Is uh, it it facilitates trust, vulnerability, as you were saying, and mm -hmm. authenticity. People need to be authentic, and they have to. In order to do that, they have to get their their egos out of the way. You know, you can't play if you're so worried about what other people think. You can't play if you're cranky. You know, you can't you can't play if you're so worried about everything else that goes on. You have mm -hmm. to be present and just yeah. go with it. Yeah, makes so, sense. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think one of the best examples it was I've worked in restaurants, waiting tables and, and everything else. I've actually worked back in the dish pit at different times. But what you do, the movie Waiting actually captures pretty well. There's the shenanigans that are going on in the kitchen. And then the waiter walks out after, you know, whatever the most horrific, teasing, like unprofessional, unprofessional sort of behavior you've ever seen, walks out there with things like, yes, sir, yes, madam, here's your, here's your, and just, you know, boom. And so you go back there like, hey, you stupid son of a, you know, they never, you know. And so, but it's interesting because you got that, 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 but it was the camaraderie. Oh my God, everybody knew you had the back, but then, you know, but then if the if the cooks were, were upset with me for something, they'd be like, you, you could feel it because they'd be teasing me about something. I'm like, ooh, okay. They're not too thrilled with the way I did that. Okay. You know, and I could take a correction from that one, right? But it didn't have to be this formal file complaint or I don't have to do a written coaching or anything else. If you can get that camaraderie built up where you can hear the teasing, the gentle teasing and the, and then, but it becomes gentle because then you can play with ideas. And that's the whole thing. Teasing is about the play. And it's about, I would say, what would you call it? Encircling the play right. mm -hmm. protectively and allowing it to be 
be kind of balanced and nuanced and and positive. You know, toss it out there. Yeah. Keep it, you know, yeah, keep it positive. I mean, Jeffrey and I tease each other and uh, we we're we're constantly on each other. Um, I was trying to think which is actually kind of a fun. Yeah, part it's, about like, your, it's, yeah. it's a fun part about your podcast, too. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, and that it, you talked about not being uh, not working alone. I, I did know when I wanted to, the idea of a podcast, I knew I needed a partner. So mm -hmm. um, do it is just way too much. It's too yeah. hard. And he made me promise to never, ever, ever leave him. Yes, exactly. So, we don't have it in writing yet, but I'm sure I will. <laughs> Uh, Michael, uh, so well, our, Rona, our, if, I was gonna, I was going to say, Rona, if you ever want to leave them, you know, we can always start. Oh, there yeah. you go. Oh, oh, that would be great. You heard it here. That'd be great. Yeah. We would have a lot of fun. Wow, well, Michael, I will come on uh, your podcast. Oh, that'd be yeah. fantastic. I'll come on your podcast. Oh, yeah. Actually, I haven't done interviews yet. I've only been doing the voiceovers from my uh, from my essays, but uh, someday I'll get into the interviews. There you go. Okay. Well, when you do, we'd, uh, we'd I'd love to. We'll just have to write and. An article. That's all. And Perfect. Anything, yeah, playful, playful thinking. Anything the playful from, polymath. <laughs> I love that. I love, I the love title. that. Yeah. There you go. I love the title. Anything uh, in our impromptu session you want to say? Is something that from the last program or something you want to finish with or direct somebody to? Yeah, I mean, just kind of like what we talked about last time is uh, the polymathic mindset is just a great way to. I don't expect everybody to be a polymath, but just recognize, you know, either embrace them, invite them, entertain them, you know, get get them kind of get in that mind space, start thinking uh, a little bit bigger. As I said, if you think you understand the problem, step back, uh, learn, unlearn, relearn, constantly be challenging what you think you know. The fastest way to fail is to think you can or should do it by yourself and constantly play. And now and for we, me, I, sorry, I'm go sorry. ahead, finish. I thought you were done. Sorry. Uh, so, oh, no. So, so what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to weave these together into a concept I'm calling polymathic disciplines. And so where I'm going with that is what I call the ABCs of polymathic insight. It's polymathic analysis. It's kind of that reframe thinking, rethinking, uh, challenging. The second is polymathic being. You can find that at polymathicbeing.substack.com. These are my essays. These are uh, the different ideas. You'll hear of me mention in the different things, different uh, kind of article titles. You'll find all those there in the archives. It's free. Uh, would love your subscription to kind of keep it growing. And the third is polymathic coaching, which is uh, – just helping people kind of in these like these sorts of conversations helping people rethink so if you're that if you're that leader who realizes that they can't take a joke or and you want to have that kind of conversation how can you start to rethink uh that's what polymathic coaching is about and you can find all that at polymathicdisciplines.com nice and they can get in, in touch with you on that yep. website now, all my Excellent. contact information Excellent. all the all the links and the bios and everything else is on there Fantastic. Awesome. This is Michael, this has you. been fantastic. Yes, Michael, thank you so, so much. Uh, this has been Biz Souls. I am Rona Lewis. I'm Jeffrey Hansler. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Biz Souls podcast with your hosts, Rona Lewis and Jeffrey Hansler. Did you have fun? Subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Talk to you next week.